Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your featured host, Shah McCain, a forensics counselor, psychic, writer, artist, modern day Christian mystic, and UFO experiencer. Shah introduced guests who are experts on all aspects of the paranormal and the sacred. The Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show has been featured on Blog Talk Radio as Staff Pick. And now for your host, Shaw McCain. Hello, everybody. This is Shaw McCain. I'm your host on Blog Talk Radio for the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. You know, my show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. The paranormal and sacred reaches all over the world, and we're actually translating to many different languages. And please follow me on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. The telephone number for the call-ins tonight is 619-924-9744. And the paranormal and the sacred airs mostly every Friday. And uh, we're going to actually do another show for Halloween night because that's our actual fourth uh, year anniversary, which I'm happy to say. Uh, during the show, you can take... Uh, I can take your questions in order in chat. You can call on the phone and uh, ask questions of our featured guest tonight. And uh, But keep in mind that any buzzkillers in chat or even on the phone is going to get it, okay? So play it cool and uh, nothing will happen here. It'll be nice tonight. I have uh, several announcements, and let's see. Uh, I'm going to tell you about the first one is uh, Marilyn Salas, a great friend of mine. is uh, She's created these... Uh, these essential oils, and she told me there's 21 different oils in this little kit, and uh, it's wonderful. I actually use it every day, and it's just like a healing mist, and it smells like incense to me, and it's calming, relaxing, and she said she, said she did a crystal thing and a prayer over it. So if you want to get a hold of Marilyn Salas products, and she's a lovely woman and does uh, healing, and she's out in whole high, and uh, if you want to get a hold of her, Reach her at www.lovesblessing.com, and there you can get her phone number and her uh, personal web address. And her husband, Captain Robert Salas, is putting together a conference about uh, UFOs, and uh, uh, he's asking, okay, let me read what he said. He said, I'm asking for your donations to help fund a press conference of four important witnesses to the 1967 mailstorm AFB uh, Montana UFO missile shutdown incidents. I don't know if you guys remember it, but that's what I, I remember it. Uh, the press conference will be held at the National Press Club, Washington, D.C., and is scheduled for Thursday, March 16, 2017. And he's only doing this because uh, he thinks it's important to make public disclosure. He was the captain that was at the helm for one of those missiles uh, 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 thing when the UFOs came and shut the missiles off. So uh, he has a first-hand uh, incident. He's written two bo- books about it. He was there. So go to his GoFundMe page, and it's kind of a long address. So let me just say it right now. Uh, www.gofundme.com slash M-A-L-M-S-T-R-O-M-6-7 dash UFO dash press dash conference dash two V's and Victor 7JXDCA. So that's the address, and of course, so you can find it on his page, uh, Robert Salas, or you can find it on my page because I'm going to I'm going to put it on here again. Anyway, that's March 16th, and there's a shindig going on down in uh, 
in San Pedro, uh, Ron James has actually put up a theater where uh, they're having tons of speakers and films and everything else. So Travis Walton's going to be down there the first week in November, the second week in November. So uh, just uh, I'm going to post it on my page, too, so you can check after this. So anyway, tonight is a very special night. It's not only our fourth anniversary, but I have a good friend on. Edwin Becker, you know, he's an awesome person and uh, a fabulous author. He's written many books. And uh, Edwin F. Becker, reentered the world of the paranormal after 42 years with his book, True Haunting, and now he has True Haunting 2 and something else in the works. And the haunting was so active that it became the first ever televised paranormal event. It also gave for the first time a glimpse into a real exorcism. This was very, very unusual for the year 1970. It really was because I remember sitting there watching it. And Ed was a professional uh, musician in the 60s, and he uh, has gone on to have an incredible experience in this crazy haunted house, and I think the house is still standing, so I'm going to actually get him on here on the line. I'd like to welcome Edwin Becker to the Paranormal Sacred Radio Show. You're live, Ed. Hi. What a night. Uh, uh, Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, 400 shows? 400 shows? (laughs) Yes, 400 shows. I can't even believe it. I must have been on on very early uh, when you started because we go back quite a bit. Yeah, we do. You you have been on a few times, but uh, you came on early, you know, in my uh, blog, blog talking career, and... I'm so happy that uh, we're still friends and uh, that, you know, the show continues. You know, what happens is that you do all those shows and you get a little bit of a burnout, you know. So I decided that I'm going to do it when I want to do it. So I'm, I'm getting on every other week or, you know, whatever I feel like. And I'm going to do another show uh, live in, uh, I think that's Redondo Beach. They're having a big Halloween party. They want me over there. So I'm going to uh, do a broadcast from there because that will be our actual Four years on Halloween night. So how about that? That's cool. I mean, that's cool. I, you know, and this is true. Uh, as a child, I never did Halloween. I, yeah. uh, when I was a small child, we, I never did Halloween. I mean, I, I came from a crappy family, actually. Uh, and then I wound up in a children's institution that was Catholic, and they didn't believe in Halloween. And, uh, when I came out of there, I, I was actually a teenager. I was a Chicago punk. So, I mean, we would stop kids in the street and say, who's giving away what? And then we would just walk <laughs> up to a door. You know, if we knew they were giving away Hershey bars, we, yeah, I want a Hershey bar. So I never got into the dress up. I don't think I've ever been in a costume. Uh, uh, although, as an elderly person, I love Halloween. So, uh, tomorrow, you know, Monday night, I'll have 150 trick or treaters here. Wow, and I will, and I will have an unusual, probably unusual event. Missourians are very polite people, and hmm. I live in Springfield now, but we were in Branson, and it, it shocked me when we moved to Branson that I could go to IHOP in the morning for breakfast and be sitting next to Jimmy Osmond and Roy Clark, and uh, everybody would just sort of like nod and smile at them, but they would leave them alone. Missourians are a very polite people. So for the last two Halloweens, and I'm hoping it happens again this, this year, uh, I've had someone knock on the door, uh, 
and I'll look at them, and they won't be in costume, and they'll look a little bit older than they should be, and they're going to ask me to sign my book. Uh, Only because I think, only because I think they believe that it's the one day where they can do that and not be intrusive. Uh, That's how Missourians are. Uh, So, yeah. So so far, two Halloweens. The last two Halloweens I've been in Springfield. I've had uh, once it was a young man, and once it was a little bit older man. But they said, "Will you sign my book for me?" And uh, of course, I did. So I, you know, maybe I'll get a treat and be able to do that again. How uh, nice! It's uh, excellent because this kind of this your story. Uh, I remember sitting there, literally on the couch, watching this story come down, and it was very uh, scary. I think at the time uh, we didn't see a lot of the horror stuff, like the the Night of the Living Dead or any of the stuff that's going on right now. Uh, but uh, back then it was a lot less gory. You know what I mean? So watching yeah. something like what happened to you guys was was a was a scary. Because I remember watching it. It, it 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 aggravates me to this day because I can't see the version that you saw. Uh, oh. I guess that there were there were FCC rules apparently, and they played it so many times in Chicago. Carol Simpson said their phones were you know lighting up like Christmas trees, so they played it like uh, morning, evening, and nightly news for about three or four days, and I guess they overstayed their their time limit. So when they used a segment, and they actually made a 20-minute segment for First Tuesday, it played everywhere else but Illinois, uh, or, or the northern Illinois. So I never got to see it. And uh, when we did Paranormal Witness, they're owned by NBC, and I had the archives available. Uh, so I sent people there, including the Paranormal Witness people, and everything was gone. So. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I never did see the, the extended version. All I have, all I've seen is that news version that they have, which is uh, very low quality. But you know, there were no uh, VHR, VCRs in those days, or uh, cameras were gigantic. Uh, right. So it, it was uh, a different time. Can I say hello to a few people? Yes, definitely. Go ahead. You know, I, I can't go. I wish I could do my whole list, but it would be uh, quite a list. But uh, hi to Eileen Hall, to Anne Marie Morales here, uh, to Ann Davis, to Brooke Llewellyn, and to my buddy Chris Michaels, who's probably right close to you there in California. Uh, just hello, and uh, I appreciate you guys. That was nice. Yeah, we want to say hello and shout out to. You know, everybody that actually you and everybody else that has been a part of this show, there's so many uh, people's uh, faces that were just running past. And, uh, you know, I, I thank God that they have this archive so I, I can listen back to it. And uh, also that, you know, our friends are on there, people when they called in and all that's on there, you know, and I was listening to all of it and I realized what kind of blessing this thing is. You know, you really kind of, after a while, you'll say, okay, I know how to do this. I'll, I'll hook up the show. I'll do this. But really, uh, my uncle, I I knew I had to go up to uh, San Francisco and interview him. It was something that I knew I had to do. And uh, I went up and talked to him for a little while. Then I came back home, and, and then I got him on, to come on the show and talk. And thank God, because, you know, he passed. So, um 
just shocked and everything else. So I did actually, he did his uh, his memorial online, so I have that too. And I was able to play, you know, his voice. And at times it was, I can't tell you, uh, to hear him was almost like he was alive again. You know what I mean? And then his kids and every all the extended family members were able to uh, call in from all over the United States. It was, it was really remarkable. So uh, people like you and you know everybody else, I want to say uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being part of this. Because when I started, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, uh, I you've you been were, a good friend. Go ahead. You've been a good friend. Aww. You've been a good friend. You've been a good friend. Thank you. Well, I got your back, mister. So, you know, <laughs> uh, there's not many people that you could say that you could trust. And uh, I, I say you're one of them. And uh, you have always given me really good advice. And I really appreciate that. And uh, you were helping me early on because I had the jitters, you know, when I first started the show. So we have people uh, in the chat right now. And Davis is in there. Jimmy is in there. The Oklahoma ladies in there. So hi, everybody in the chat. Oklahoma lady is is one of my favorites. She's a sweetheart. She's a sweetheart. Yay. Let me tell you, let me tell you what I experienced, okay? And, and it's uh Go ahead. It can you can look at this two different ways. Uh I looked at it uh, more of a psychological thing, but I've had very a number of friends come to me and say, "Ed, it's a sign, it's paranormal." Uh I decided that I was going to do true haunting in an audio book. I figured no one could do it better than I. I. I haven't heard of anybody doing their book, any authors doing their ghost stories themselves. So I went out and I got the equipment and, uh, cause I didn't want to drive back and forth to a sound studio every day. Uh, there, it's real strict when you do an audio book, you have to pick your time of day you have to basically be consistent uh, because your your voice changes in the course of the day. Uh, you have to have it soundproofed. So I built a little studio in, in my house. I've, I've got an expensive microphone, uh, the sound baffles. i got a teleprompter so they won't hear any pages turning. And uh, I've got a, a sound engineer that's uh, just incredible. And I started the audio book. And I did the introduction. And uh, it's more difficult than one would imagine because uh, the sound man takes away all your breathing and uh, he may come back and critique a sentence. Like when I did the introduction, he came back to me and said, repeat these three sentences. Uh, So he wanted them perfect. Okay. And then I started rehearsing chapter one. And you can't read from a book. You have to create a script because you want to put the right emphasis on everything that you're reading. Well, I never thought about it. Uh, I mean, when I did True Hunting 2, I kind of battered Dan to draw everything out that I needed for the book, and I certainly battered Marcia to get everything out, and I never realized the psychological effect of that. Well, when I started rehearsing for Chapter 1, it starts out lighthearted. I'm a young, optimistic man. When I got to the part about entering the house I bought, my pacemaker shocked me. 
I mean, it shocked me, okay? So I, I immediately, I've got a little console here in my house. I, uh, I pressed it, sent my information to my cardiologist, and they said, yeah, you took a pretty good shock. Well, this was on a Friday, and, and I, I, I thought, well, I'll take Monday and Tuesday off, or, or, or Sunday, I'm sorry, Saturday and Sunday off, and again in Monday afternoon I'll start again. Monday afternoon, the second time I go to do Chapter 1, I get into the Campbell Street house. I start to recall the smells and my feelings. My pacemaker goes off. Now i got to push the button, says my cardiologist. Now they're upset. They say, what are you doing? They start to think that I'm doing something that, that I shouldn't be doing, like lifting, running, running. Uh, and I, I, I didn't want. They don't know I'm an author. I don't tell people that locally, uh, so I, I wasn't going to tell them about the book. I just told them I was relaxed at the time, which I thought I was. So they said, "Well, you know, if it happens again, we have to take a serious look at it." So I waited a few days, rested. I felt fine. My pulse is fine. And I'm sitting in the front room reclining, and I'm decided I'm going to rehearse this part before I record it. So I'm reading it aloud thinking about the house, thinking about the smells, thinking about the feelings, thinking about my damn pacemaker goes off a third time. Oh, my God. Now the cardiologist calls me in, and I had to go in the next day, and uh, they they do a uh, – the unit is amazing, okay, because they they do a printout, a computer printout. It shows my every single heartbeat I've had. So it said, you know, he said my cardiologist was, like, interrogating me. What were you doing at that time? What were you doing? Well, I couldn't tell him. I didn't tell him. All I told him was I was relaxing. And he said, there's got to be a common denominator. And I said, there's none. So they changed my medication, and uh, which was a whole nother trip, because uh, he gave me a medication that sent me into anaphylactic shock. Uh, and you, you know. Yeah, and with a you know, out of pocket like this, my tongue was swollen up, and uh, they can't give you epinephrine because you're, it'll raise your heart. So I had a, you know, I'm still actually recovering weeks later. Then they put me on another drug, and and it's fine. It's one I've taken before, and it relaxes my heart and keeps my pulse. But when I told some of my friends, they said it's the book. They said don't take yourself and put your mind back there. Because that's how your 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 psyche is reacting to it. It, it doesn't want to go back there. It doesn't want to experience those things. So there, all I've got is an introduction to an audio book, and I guess I'll never do the audio book. Oh my you know, goodness! I, I, uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to get shocked again to, to prove a point. And uh, I don't know much about audiobooks anyway. I was going to do it just to have the accomplishment and to do it in my own voice. And then I could I could also insert comments and things that I know today that I didn't know then. Uh, and, you know, I could point out stupid things that I did to, uh, in those days that I, I know now that I didn't know then. Uh, right. So, you know, was it psychological or, you know, as, as one of my friends said, stay away from that book. Uh, I don't know. 
I, I don't well, know. The, I, well, the reason that the audio book is good is that you can listen to it in your car. Blind people can, uh, or, you know, people that have poor sight can listen to audio books, and I, I do listen to them. But if this is the case, uh, forget it, Ed. I leave that book alone. <laughs> because this is scary, man. Yeah, well, I'm a veteran of getting shocked, so I've gotten shocked uh, so far since I've had this thing four years. I've gotten shocked seven times. And didn't, uh, it, didn't you have you know, a shock it, in the past too? Didn't you have a something happen what? in the past? Didn't you have a shock in the past? You were electrocuted oh, yeah. when you were 19. Oh, you were oh no, when I was. Oh, you're talking about when I was a youth. Yeah, at, yeah. at 19, I I, I died. I mean, I was dead. Oh, Lord. And uh, how they, you know, I mean, we're talking about a day when ambulances were used. Not, they had no paramedic rigs. They had station wagons that, you know, lights on top that were ambulances. I don't know how the hell they, there was a guy on my chest. I think he was a, uh, I was lifeguard trained in my youth. So I think he was lifeguard trained and he was basically pumping my chest and, uh, is if I had been drowned, uh, but my heart had stopped. I, I and you know, and the, the spiritual feeling of it, I could describe. Uh, you know, it it uh, from that day day forward, I have never ever been afraid of dying. You know, now I died a second time. Yeah. I had a heart attack in Branson, and they had to stop my heart because I, I, my blood, my. Uh, pulse was going 300 beats per minute, and your heart can only take so much before it turns into jello so they they couldn't slow it down so they had to stop it and then restart it and uh but that event was much different than the one of my youth uh but it was from the day i was 19 i know that there's an afterlife number one i know that if you're if you're going to go to the good place which i still hope i'm going to go to it's euphoric and and uh there's a path that leads right there. Uh, you'll, you know, everything is going to leave you, and you're not going to care. It's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of times I give stuff away. People come I come to my house, and I'll give them things uh, if they really like it, because from that day forward, I realized material things don't mean a whole hell of a lot. The only thing you leave here with when you go is your is your love. And your love for people and those around you. Uh, so material things don't mean squat. Uh, they really I don't. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you because I've had uh, several of these experiences. And I always think, is, is my number up? You know, and then uh, the last one I had, the person that was my guide in the dream said soon, but not now. So I have to figure out how much is soon in heaven time. So I don't know. Well, I think I don't think right away. I think I have a few more years. I hope, but I'm not scared. No, I, I'm not fine. I, I I thank God for every. I mean, He's propped me up and He's carried me. I mean, uh, my God, God, I've had the equivalent of five heart attacks and died twice, and I'm and I'm still you know still standing. You're still uh, here. My, my, my one nephew says, you know, he says, Uncle Ed, you're you're Teflon. Uh, if you're titanium, you're something. Uh, right. So I'm still going. And uh, when I had my massive heart attack at 49, 
I'm, I'm, I like to hear the truth. So uh, I, I told my cardiologist, give me, my, give me the limits. He gave me 10 years. He said, you can make 10 years. Hmm. Okay, yeah, missed a long time ago. That. Yeah, yeah, that's 12 years ago. So, uh, And my current cardiologist gave me his estimate recently. So I kind of, but I take that and I put it in my pocket and, and uh, keep it. And uh, the guy who really knows is is, is, above, is upstairs. He knows when, when it's your time. Yeah, and I still feel like I, I've, I've got stuff to do. I've got things to do. Uh, in fact, yeah. I got a message recently through a medium uh, that uh, it was actually from Joseph DeLuise, who's passed away. Yes. And it was a very personal message, and it made so much sense. You know, you, you go to these readers, and they tell you that you had an uncle or you had that or whatever, and not you know, it may feel, make you feel a little good or whatever, but nothing that's going to give you direction. This message gave me direction, and uh, it was from Joseph De Louise. And uh, the minute I heard it, I said, "Oh God, he hit the nail on the head." And there was no way it came through a person who doesn't really know me that well. And uh, it's amazing, you know, that I've still got stuff to do, I guess. There's a book that's going to come out. There is a book that's going to come out. It's not mine. Uh, But it's a book that, you know, so many, I mean, literally a thousand people or more uh, have written me and they wanted, uh, because of my book, they wanted the book Psychic Mission, which I refer to in my book. Mm-hmm. And when Joseph DeLuise and Tom Valentine put out Psychic Mission in 1970, it didn't sell very much. So there weren't, I don't think it went into a second printing, and the first printings from the traditional houses were like 2000 or 2500 and if you didn't sell them, that's the end of that. Well, now I pumped up the price of Psychic Mission to where if you can find a copy, you're going to pay around $200 for it. <clears throat> Joe, that's Joe DeLuise's book. Well, a woman, Mary Lou Anami, she's a new author, has written a book on Joe DeLuise called Psychic Courier, The Life and Afterlife of a Psychic. And uh, it, it's I've seen parts of it. I haven't seen the whole book. It's very, very good. And it's all true, and it's it's nonfiction parapsychology. I hope everybody goes out and get a co- gets a copy. I was honored enough to be able to uh, do the foreword myself. So it's got a foreword by me. And, Wonderful. Uh, it, it'll tell you about this man. He, he was an amazing man. And... Uh, you know, in this day and age of Facebook, where, you, where every other person is a reader and a psychic and an intuitive and a whatever, this guy looked forward in, way far into the distance. And, you know, some of the things he, he said to me in 1971 didn't come to to be reality till 2000, 2005. Uh, years, he was years and years ahead of his time. So... Make sure you, you know, those of you who are listening, that you you're going to want a good book. From what I've seen, this is a good book, and it's it's about a person who really was psychic and gifted, and uh, handled his life very very well, and handled people very very well. 
Could you so, give us uh, the, the spelling, the the title, and the, his spelling of his name again, please? Yeah, it's Joseph D. Louise. It's D E L O U I S C. Mhm. And it's psychic. Psychic courier. Courier. And the author is and the author is Mary Lou Anami, who may be listening. So if you're out there, Mary, hi. But I'm anxious to get my copy. A N A M M I, Anami. Uh, it's E N A M I. E N A M I. Okay, thank you very much. I'm putting it also for the people that uh, everybody can write it down in chat and try to find the copy. Wow. So, um, you know, I was um, actually, I I had a really great day Thursday. And one of my clients uh, happens to be a singer and a lyricist. And he's uh, related to uh, Smokey Robinson and all these people in Motown and all that. And he was singing in my office, and we started singing, and I was thinking, you know, I'm a counselor, uh, and uh, I was thinking this is what it's all about is is music and how important it is and how it cheered up our faces and made us smile and laugh and everything else. And I know you're a musician, and music means a lot to you, too. And uh, how did uh, how did music, you know, play in your life and your coming up? Well, it, it probably saved my life. I'm glad you brought this up because this is a great subject for me, especially right now. I was uh, pretty much a Chicago street punk, and I'm not going to tell you what I was into. It wasn't good, okay? okay. Uh, leather jacket, all of that crap, and 15-year-old, and uh, and I was a big, a big boy, okay? I uh, I was a punk, and I was sitting in a pizza place with – my, my buddies, you know, our gang, and uh, having pizza, and all of a sudden a Beatles song came on the uh, jukebox. And I can still remember it was You Can't Do That. And I'm listening to it. Now, I had been musical in my youth. I had been in a Catholic institution, so I had sang in, in choir. I had sang in plays, and I had played a, a, a accordion and a little bit of piano. And I'm listening to this you can't do that, and it was so thin uh, as far as the sound and the arrangement and kind of straightforward. I stood up and I said, I'm going to do that. And my buddy said, what? And I said, I'm going to play the guitar. And, I mean, everybody cracked up, and they all started laughing. Well, the next day I went and I bought a, a guitar. It cost me $20. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was really a piece of crap. But and I don't know where I had this. I think I learned it in Catholic school. But I always learned that if you if you wanted to learn something, learn from the best. So I asked around the neighborhood and I said, "Who's the best guitar player in the neighborhood?" They gave me two names: Terry Kath, who went on to start the group Chicago, and Dennis Browder. Well, Dennis Browder lived about a block from my house, a few years older than me. So I boldly, uh, one evening, knocked on his door, and I said, teach me how to play guitar. 
And, you know, he should have been, basically said, I'll buzz off or something. Instead, he said, come on in. And uh, he showed me a couple chords, and he showed me how to tune it. And then he took the guitar and screwed it all up and said, come back when you can tune it and play those chords. And I came back the next day. And uh, it wasn't long before he uh, he had his own band, and, and his bass player didn't show up. And he said, you know, you're going to play bass tonight. And he, he showed me a couple bass runs, and I, I, I was a quick learner. So I went to, to Sock Hop, and I played bass. And at the end of a couple hours, he hands me 15 bucks. Well, then they paid us. You know, if you were under 18, you got paid a buck an hour. If you were under 16, you got a half a buck an hour. I was hooked. I said, 15 bucks, you know, for two hours worth of having fun? I went on, and I, I next thing I knew, I was getting my uh, union card. I joined a professional group, auditioned, got the job, made my my, my uh you know, experience with them, and then I went on and started my own group, and made you know had had a wonderful life. That's where I met Marsha. I was on the road, and uh, now here's here's the the great part of this story. Well, I quit music at age twenty because we had no one, we had no uh, role models. You know, I, I swear to God, at age twenty. There was a lounge in Chicago, uh, outside of Chicago in Melrose Park, that was a crappy place. I wouldn't work there uh, as a musician. But every week they had somebody there like the Everly Brothers, Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis. These guys were down and out when the English music came out. Yeah. And I thought, that's that's my future. You know, if I stay in music, that's my future. You know, if I would have known that Paul McCartney... Steven Tyler, Mick Jagger would be running around in their 70s. I probably would have stayed in music. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious, I would have stayed in music. But every older musician I, I, I saw, uh, they were they were destroyed. They were either on drugs or alcoholics, and they weren't doing well. So I went back I went back to college and, uh, you know, er, er, earned uh, my education in early on in computers and did very, very well as a career. <laughs> And I earned a heart attack in that career. Uh, but now, you know, it's 50-something years later, and that guy that I knocked on his door and said, teach me guitar, is still alive. Amazing. And, and he had worked in Nashville as a guitarist. So we reconnected, and I wrote him a letter sincerely telling him that he put me on the right path, that it took me, you know, at a very young age, I, I came came used to playing playing in front of crowds, talking to an audience. Uh, it, it gave me a wealth of experience dealing with club owners and agents. So I told him everything he did for me. And there, there are people in your life that are pivotal. I mean, they Definitely. come to a crossroads. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately for me, a, a few of them are, are passed away. But Dennis is still out there. And uh, I sent him some of my books. And he called me and he said, Ed, I love the way you write. And Jan, his yeah, wife, I knew in high school, she, she said, you know, he said, I can't write worth a crap. 
he said, and it kills me. And I said, why? And he, he, I said, writing, you know, you do other things. You're a great guitarist. He said, yeah, but he said, I've got all these songs I wrote with no words. Mm. And it was like the light bulb went on. I said, Denny, send me the songs. You know, and, and this was a little bit back. So I was, uh, actually, I was in therapy at the time. <laughs> So okay. I told him I'm not writing any. I'm not writing any lyrics right now. I said because they're all going to come out like uh, terribly sad. Uh, so I, I got to get back up where I can, uh, you know, see both sides of the coin. Uh, but here it is, fifty something years later, and I'm going to be, you know, a lyricist now. Uh, Amazing. You know, so I, I, I would just flip if we could accomplish that, you know, if there was a song that someone's going to sing by Becker and Browder. Because uh, he's, he's an incredible guitarist. He writes incredible music. Uh, and most of his work was done in Nashville. It was done, it was crossover work. So it wasn't real yeah. country twang or, you know, or bluegrass. Uh, so I love that kind of music anyway. Uh, don't ask me about rap. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I never, I, I, I never got it. I, I never got it. Yeah. Uh, you know, number well, one. Well, you know, you it's know. not easy to follow because you know it's not easy to follow all those words. Think about it in the rap song. So, you know, we love to sing along with a song that that one's hard. But anyway, I think I could feel that, and I wanted to tell you that that I knew something had happened, and that the whole new path is starting. And isn't it amazing, just when you think it's over, it all starts again? Yeah. Uh, one door closes and another door opens. Exactly. And uh, and it did open, and uh, now I'm uh, I'm I'm tuning up my instruments, and I'm uh, got a lyric book that I'm writing down lyrics in because uh, you know most most of these songs. Uh, you can't just write a song uh, that's a paragraph. It's got to have a, a a story, you know, and it's got to have a chorus. And if you're lucky, it's going to be an anthem uh, where, where you get in people's heads and it don't come out. Uh, so you got what we call a hook. Uh, so I'm, I'm starting to create now, and uh, I feel real good about it. You know, it, it's something different. I'm still going to continue writing. Uh, oh, yeah. I've got to finish my Death Walker series, the third book, which is a trilogy, and it'll be the end of a trilogy, and it'll be the last one for Death Walker. Uh, I'm also doing, uh, I mean, this is a world I stepped into, Shire, that it's it's just been vast. I I decided I wanted to write about people's experiences and ghostly experiences. And my basis for that, I've got literally, over the last five years, going on six years now, I've got 2,000 emails and letters and and things. People have come through my website. 2,000 stories. Now, I don't know why. Okay, I've been a magnet. I don't think there's another author out there that gets the kind of correspondence I get. And it was from the get-go. Uh, you know, you'll see it in my reviews where people say, uh, this was written by someone I'd like to have a cup of coffee with and talk to. And they do. They talk to me. And 
so I've gotten all these emails from Wales, Scotland, the UK, Australia, even the Philippines, uh, France, Canada, of course, and, and yeah, a lot in the U.S. And what they did is when they read True Haunting, they'd read of something. I didn't know it when I wrote the book, but I must have captured just a whole bunch of, of common ghostly activity. So a, lo- a lot of people write me and they'll say, yeah, I got trouble with my door. It won't stay closed, my closet door, or my this door or that door. Well, I started sorting out these thousand emails, and I realized that ghosts do very similar things, regardless of where the hell they are in the world. They they walk down hallways and up stairways. That's very common. They open doors. They love to open doors and cabinets. You know, very common. Knockings. Very common, you know, whether they're inside or outside. Uh, touching, you know, whether they brush against you or grasp you yeah. or embrace you. Okay, I've got a number of people who've been embraced uh, by by cold hands. Showing you up know, at the foot of your showing up at the foot yeah. of your bed is very common. Now, the forms are different, so sometimes it's solid and someone they know. Sometimes it's not solid. Sometimes it's a shadow. Sometimes it's transparent. But ghosts like to come to the foot of your bed. And uh, I started categorizing these, and next thing I knew, I had piles, and I thought, you know, each one of these piles is a chapter yeah. you know, of ghostly, ghostly common denominators. So I started writing that, and I am writing it. And I'm not sure what I'm going to call it. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a book comparable, maybe, if and when I finish it, to Hans Holzer's Ghosts. But I, I, mm-hmm. I, I've got at my fingertips more resources than he had when he wrote that book. You know, right. so. But, yeah, you, you, it shocked me. And uh, the other thing that shocked me was uh, – it didn't really surprise me that much, I guess. Women are just so much more sensitive than men. So when I started yeah. analyzing my correspondence, the the pile of men was very small. The pile of women was huge. Then I started separating it by how they're handling it. And women tend to automatically believe and understand and, and recognize. Men do not. And I started to realize it, and I thought, you know, how was I when I was a young man? And, and I just got done talking to a woman, in fact, uh, last week, where she, she's experiencing a haunting, her husband won't acknowledge it. He just won't acknowledge it, refuses. And I started thinking about that, and I thought, you know, are all men just a bunch of hardhead, you know, hardheads, uh, and I started thinking, no, it's my domain. It's it's our domain. If you're the you know, if you're the man of the house, how do you admit that you're not in control of your domain? Whether that's an apartment, a house, a tent, whatever. So I think the the reluctance of a man to believe 
a lot of it is just based on the pure pride of, of being the head of the household. You know, I'm not, I can't admit anything's out of control in my house. Right. Very difficult to do, very difficult to do. So I'm starting to see things very, very differently when it comes to paranormal. Uh, but my usual advice to people is the same, and I take my own advice. I've got a ghost in my house right now. I may I have two. Yeah. yeah, I may have two. But the house I live in in Springfield, now it's uh, 16 years old. It was 12 years old when I bought it, and, and it was owned by two men, both of which died. One died in the house, one did not die in the house. Uh, when I toured the house and bought it, it was clean. We, we couldn't feel anything negative whatsoever, and, and there still is nothing negative. It's a very warm, welcoming house. But I have this refrigerator in the kitchen, and it's a monstrosity that Marsha had me buy. It's <laughs> uh, it's stainless, okay? Uh, it's got doors and drawers and, and uh, you know, all kinds of crap on it that two old people didn't need, you know. Yeah. But it's got these French doors on the top. And one of the doors, some of you who have the Whirlpool refrigerator may know exactly what I'm talking about. The left door has a, a, a panel on it, an insulating panel, that folds when you open it, and it unfolds when you close it. So if you were in my house, Char, I could open up the right side and open up the left side, and then I could turn you around, and now you can't see which door I'm opening, and you would know mm-hmm. exactly which door, I, which door I opened by the sound. Yeah. The left-hand door with the side panel makes a unique sound. Well, it happens at least almost every day, at least once. Uh, sometimes I'll be right in the next room. But that left-hand door, it, has, it must be opened because it'll close. And I'll hear the sound. Nothing else can be, could duplicate that sound. So whatever it does, it likes my refrigerator and uh, opens the left-hand door. And, and I know... It's clear sound because my cattle acknowledge it. I mean, her ears yeah. go up and look in that direction. Uh, but the cat's not bothered. You know, Angel's not bothered. Uh, and what I do is, is the same advice I give people, that if whatever activity in your house doesn't frighten you or inconvenience you in any way, then ignore it. Ignore okay. it totally. Now, you you can pray for the soul that it may be, uh, but I would not address that soul. I would ignore it because I promise you that if you do something like if I wanted to, I could fix that door so it couldn't open. But then I could not predict what it will do next. So as long sure. as it's happy opening that oh, as long as it's happy with that door, and that door doesn't bother me at all. Uh, in fact, you could leave the door open because I hate the damn refrigerator. You know, it. it uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you right. You know, this is not paranormal. Don't buy stainless stuff. I know? don't like it. Me too. I feel the same way. I'm looking to save money for a vintage refrigerator. That's what I'm on track. I'm on. They look like kind of like a Chevy. That's the kind of refrigerator I want. Oh, I'm you know, you're asking for it. 
You're you're asking for it. I had a vintage Coke machine, and I I gave it away years ago. But let me tell you, you plug one of those suckers in, whether it's an old refrigerator or cooler, and Mm -hmm. get prepared for your electric meter to explode. (laughs) No, they have have new. They have old outsides and new insides, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get involved in that. No, I know. Yeah, because yeah, I gave the Coke machine away. The thing had an engine on. Now it would freeze. It would create. You know, it freeze bottles. It did an incredible job. But, yeah, my, my my electric meter would spin, you know. I thought it was going to spin right out of the glass. It, uh, yeah. But stainless, you know stainless steel. It, it, it. Well, it's, first of all, it's too big. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know what to do with a refrigerator like that. But I have, I really, I think, but these other refrigerators cost a lot, you know, a couple thousand dollars. But they look fantastic. And they have all new insides, so you don't have to worry about all that. You know. Yeah, I mean, my retro. My, fa- my family laughs at me because when they visit, every time I walk past this refrigerator, I say, "I hate you." I look at it and I say, "I hate you." And uh, it's the same with my stove. I, I, uh, I we we had electric, and Marcia wanted a gas stove. I installed. I had a gas line installed. It's double ovens and it's got all kinds of computer stuff. All I want is on and off, you know. And all yeah. I want is one oven on and off. <laughs> and uh, and well, then you know stuff, anything you you, you touch it. In, oh, go ahead. Sorry. You touch it in the fingerprints. I mean, I I can have it cleaned, spotless, and the next morning I'll wake up and I can see the cat's paws where she walked across the top. Uh, you can't keep it clean. It's impossible. So, well, yeah, stainless, stuff it, you know. The <laughs> same with granite. You know, any of you women out there that, you know, are coveting, you know, oh, I love granite, I want granite, you don't want granite. Okay, I'll tell you that firsthand. The edges are going to chip. If you drop something on it and you damage it, it's going to look like hell. You're not going to be able to get it fixed. The repair will be obvious. You do not want granite, all right? They have what a new formica now that looks just like granite. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going off on stuff now. <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> no, it's paranormal to me. Have... All right. <laughs> well, it's paranormal it's really to me. Well, you brought it up. It's paranormal because, uh, well, because, you know, some are living peacefully. You know, they coincide with the humans. We don't know if we're dealing with spirits that are here or somebody operating in another dimension and, is curious about, you know, this this new refrigerator or whatever, but you know, um I I have an old stove that's very very kind to me. Her name is Hazel and she's from the fifties <laughs> old Keith and Merritt, you know, with uh, the whole thing. So that's that's the way I go with the whole thing. I have ten You you, you named your stove you named your stove Hazel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I I only name my cars and my guns. I name my stove too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I I always name my cars and my guns. Uh, I always name cars, but uh, I actually name my stove because it's Hazel. <laughs> she's just meant era. But and she's I wouldn't good tell too. you what, what what I wouldn't tell you what I would name but, that refrigerator, but it would start with an F. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you can always get a refrigerator. That's true. Well, some people love after it. All, after you know? Oh, well, Marsha wanted it. I mean, she fell in love. Oh, this is, you know. And I, I paid a fortune for the damn thing. And, 
I hate it. I uh, I was almost able to trade it away uh, to my dog groomer uh, <laughs> for, for for a black one, you know. Uh, <laughs> just a you know, just two doors, you know. That's it. Uh, no drawers, no special. And uh, you know, this one has a water filter, which I like. Okay. But what I don't like is it tells you you have to change the filter. So it'll give you about a month in advance. It's going to say, you know, prepare to get your filter, order your filter, order your, it'll keep blinking. And then after, if you go beyond that time, then it says, you know, change the filter, change the filter. No way to turn the damn thing off. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, maybe I'm just old or something, but I don't like any of this stuff telling me what to do. You know, I don't like cars talking uh, yeah. to me. Uh, you know, I, I I I don't want one of these gizmos where uh, I forgot what the name of the girl is. You know, where you ask her a question and they talk back to you. Yeah. I don't want any of that. You know, I don't mind looking at a map. I have a great sense of direction. I don't need a GPS. I, I can see the need for GPS if you're in real estate or pizza delivery or something. Uh, it must be a great tool. But for the average person, uh, I, I don't should, you know how many times do you get in your car and not know where the hell you're going? Uh, I don't, you know. So especially if you have a computer, you can do, use a Google map and know exactly where you're going. Exactly. Um, I like doing both. So I'll have the map. I'll actually print out the the thing and I'll put it on the GPS. So. I got everything covered because sometimes the GPS just shuts off. I'll be chewing down the freeway, going, you know, following the GPS. Everything stops, so that's when I have my map and I pull that one out. So it's uh, really handy. And um, I wanted to ask you a question about um, that. First of all, do you know an update about the the house, the house? Yeah, I. Uh... It, it's been remodeled. Uh, it's been sold many times. You know, I, I mean, I, I never followed its history. Uh, when we left there, it was out of sight, out of mind. And yeah. uh, tap, tap, no take back. It does bring up a subject I want to explain because a lot of my readers have written me about it, and that's uh, how I got rid of it. But uh, okay. the house has been sold. It's been in foreclosure at least once, if not twice. And uh, which doesn't surprise me. And it's basically the bones of the house are basically the same. They put a new facade on it and uh, they put a new back porch on it. And, uh, you know, I've updated the outside a little bit, but the bones of the house are the same. You know, uh, whether it still have problems or not, I, I don't know. And I'm not going to find out. And I've been offered money to go back. And, and when it was uh, handled by real estate and it was opened, uh, a few people said, you know, will you go back and tour that house? No. You know, no, I won't go back. Uh, you know, I heard Andrea Perone say she'd like to buy her house back, the same house. Yeah. Yeah, I heard not I was me. talking to her about it. Yeah, not me. Uh I would not go there because I, I think maybe they'd want a shot at me now again. Uh, and everybody who's been attached to it, I, I mean, it's one of the reasons I will not do the audiobook. You know, it, it, I'm a little bit stupid. Maybe it took me three shocks to realize 
that I shouldn't do it and put myself in, in that frame of mind and, and concentrate and, and uh, you know it's yeah. almost like summoning. It's almost like summoning. Uh, it may it may be because I was going to ask you that um, in, the haunting is insidious. And uh, do you feel that uh, the the houses or people that are haunted that it's actually in a way affecting them psychologically or subconsciously, and it's having an effect on their life? Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it, every single person. And in fact, uh, after we did Paranormal Witness, Dan White had uh, such a succession of tragedies that I, I can't even talk about them. They're personal. Uh, but if I listed them, you know, and then I went on, a lot of people blamed my health to doing that. They they said, you know, because that was actually the first time I ever told a story in public was on Paranormal Witness. Oh. Now, I didn't know, you know, what I did. I, I think I actually, you know, hurt Marsha because uh, I'm, I'm a, as a writer, you're, you're, you're a, a deep interviewer. So, you know, if you tell me, uh, when Dan told me, uh, I got up and I, you know, heard something at the door and I, I got up and to the door, I, I, I said, wait a second, you heard something, okay? How did you feel when you heard that? Was it alarm or was it curiosity? And I made him experience everything he did up to that point. Well, I, I did the same to Marsha. So I, I said, you're going to tell, give me your perspective of what you did when I was at work. And I took her back. And, uh, you know, she's had some, some problems since. And uh, that continued on to this year. And, uh, you know, and yeah, as soon as I... I my doctors this year were, you know, they, they 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 thought I was getting some kind of special injections because everything improved. My heart injection yeah, rate I improved. Yeah, I can tell everything. My stamina improved. I lost 25 pounds. So I'm, I'm at my, my perfect, you know, last time I was this weight, I was in high school. Uh, everything improved until I did the audio book. And then I got mm-hmm. shocked three times. And uh, now, you know, I'm on a new medication. I'm the hell with the audio book. I'm feeling great again. Yeah. So t- to me, I'm not a believer in curses. Uh, but I think sometimes you carry something with you, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's an attachment or if it's, I tend to believe, of course, I'm a creature of logic. So, you know. Uh, that's clear from the from the book initially. I tend to believe that it's psychological because uh, if I, I I can't watch that YouTube video from beginning to end. Yeah. Call it a P, call it PTSD, call it whatever. But once it you get past the first minute and you get into the living room, I start to smell the room. I start to feel the feelings, and it's like I don't want to watch this. And uh, the things that have been pointed out to me that are on my website or, or that I put on uh, Facebook, where at the minute and a half mark, you can actually see a ghost start to come through the door and then back off. Yes. That's, that's absolutely clear as day. 
Uh, that door is 10 feet from a wall. There was no door on there uh, other than a vinyl sliding thing that slid back. Uh, so there was nothing you could hang there or anything. That was a, a ghost that came through the door. Well, that was a reader that pointed it out to me. They wrote me and they said, what is it at the minute and a half mark? I went there and I never saw it before. I didn't want to see it actually. But I looked at it and I said, damn, that's that's a ghost. And then I've got the one snapshot where uh, there's a demon face over my shoulder. Yeah, I saw and that. The, that that was sent to me by a reader also who went through the thing frame by frame. And the only reason I got a chill when I saw that one was because in the book, I even write, wrote in there that after I, uh, I I went berserk on my sister for having a Ouija board, she basically said, you know, that I'm possessed. And I said, you know, bull, I'm possessed. And she said, I can see him over your right shoulder. That's what my oh, sister weird. told me. Well, well, when you look at that picture, that's where the thing is over my right shoulder. So, and, and I've had a lot of people blow it up, examine it, interpret it. They see different things. Uh, yeah, because it's none kind of, of odd. It's odd this yeah. shape, and it kind of looks leathery to me, but it's really odd. It's it's, it's an odd picture, that's for sure. The edges is what makes me, uh, I find strange, is because it's like it's breaking through. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's some odd thing to it. I I just, uh, I don't know. It looks like a leather thing or something. I don't know. It's just weird. Well, the guy who cleaned it, the guy who cleaned it for me, and uh, because it was on a tape that was, uh, you know, oxidized, and said uh, it's 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 not a flaw. He said, so he can't explain it. He said that that was on the tape. It's not a flaw. So whatever it is, it is. But it, it's very, very creepy. Uh, well, it, it's creepy. And, um, you know, I, I think that do you believe, okay, I'm going to ask you a question then. Uh, do you believe that certain people are chosen for this? Because look what's happened. You know, I think a lot of people, had suffered in that house, you know, had moved, come and go and everything else. But you took what could have just been a mess that you ran away from and made something out of it that has really connected a lot of people, you know, together and with you. No, it's true. I I, I don't know because a lot of good has come from it. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, there's been been a little bit of a backfire on it toward us as as individuals. Uh, I mean – what happened to Dan, I can't talk about, but I can tell you, just tell you it was catastrophic after Paranormal Witness. It was a succession of things that uh, I don't know how he'll, re- how he's going to recover from. Uh, yeah, it, it, you know, our, our lives have been affected. There is no doubt, you know. That's uh, mm-hmm. why I tell everybody, though, you know, when I, and I get a lot of emails where people say, I read your book, how do I get involved in the paranormal? And I tell them, yeah. don't, don't, don't open that door. You know, do not open that door, uh, because once you become aware, your everything changes. Your vision changes. Your perception of things changes. Uh, you start to analyze. You, you start to see things that you never saw before. You become aware of things that could happen, that may or may not happen. It's uh, 
you know, I I tell uh, the real story of, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a practical analogy, but it's true. Okay, I I used to walk my little dog late at night in Branson. I lived in a golfing community. Everything was groomed, and I love to walk around in bare feet. Still do here in Missouri because I can do it six seven months. I only put socks on if I'm going someplace. Uh, and I'd take my dog out with my bare feet, and I, and I had a long retractable leash, and she'd go wandering. And I'd look up at the stars in, in the mountains. You look at the stars, and they're just gorgeous. They're almost phony. And sometimes I'd pray, you know. I mean, what a better place. Uh, and I did that for years, two, three, four years. And then one night I'm coming back, and we get to the patio, and there's a copperhead snake. Oh. Yeah, and, and about a teenage size. Not a, not a, he wasn't full grown. He wasn't a baby. And copperheads are nasty. They're they're, they're aggressive. Uh, so I got you know I had a barbecue set out there and tools, and I dispatched it over the Rainbow Bridge. Mm-hmm. Okay, no thought about it. It was just like holy crap. I didn't even tell Marcia because I I knew she would freak out. Uh, but copperheads are fairly common here in Missouri. There shouldn't have been any in the in the golf community, but but heck, yeah, they came in. Apparently, they golf. Uh, <laughs> I didn't wow. think about it, okay, except for until the next night. The next night, I automatically put on shoes. The next yeah. night, I automa- I automatically took my dog out, and I no longer looked at the sky. I kept my eyes on the grass because yeah. I knew if that was a young copperhead, mom and dad are out there somewhere. And I kept watching my dog because I didn't want my dog to get bit. It that simple event changed my behavior. Well, yeah. that's what parent that's what paranormal education will do to you. Because once you realize that there are, and I and I'm no great expert. I mean, I've, I've had a wealth of experience. I've known a number of wonderful people, talented people, gifted people. I've had many experiences myself, but I'm not an expert. I mean, there are things out there that I can't identify, you know. I, but I know that spirits walk this earth. That much I know for a fact. Okay, and I know damn well that there's demons out there. And you know, it's not everybody makes light of them. Oh, they got demonic dolls and they got demonic this. That's all a bunch of bullcrap. A demon wants your soul. He has to have a vessel. He has to have a soul. There are demons out there. Now, fortunately, demons don't go after people who are spiritually in the right place. They go after people who are weak-minded. And I don't mean dumb. Okay, what no, I mean but... is, is they've been battered by despair, by sadness, by something where a demon can manipulate you. And uh, so I know there are demons. I've known real exorcists. I've seen a possessed person up close. Uh, I know there are ghosts, but I've certainly seen ghosts, heard ghosts, saw ghosts. Uh, there's another entity out there. I'm not sure what the heck it is, uh, whether it's conjured or what it is, but I know it's out there. And you, you'll frequently hear of people talking about a, a black mass. It's yeah. formless. Yeah. It's, it's formless, but it can change form. Very quickly, so it can go from being long across the floor to standing up straight, 
in an instant, and it moves faster than lightning. It'll just move across the room. I've seen it, so I, I know what it is, but I, I knew immediately it, it's not that's not a spirit, you know, and it's not a demon. What the hell is it, you know? Uh, yeah. Now, people who are doing hoodoo and voodoo, they may know what that is. I certainly don't, uh, but I do know it's not something I want around the house. Uh, Definitely. To me, that's more like a, a oppression, and it's a strange thing, and I think there are created, well, it's nothing I ever said out loud before, but I'll say it now, but I do believe there's created beings. I I don't have, I don't know what it is. I, I just know it's bad. You know, it's bad, well, it's, and I want but like everything else, in my old age, I don't want any part of anything. Okay, yeah. I have a good understand. I have a good understanding. I'm not going to antagonize anything. Uh, ghosts are very, very common. So I mean, all of you out there, you know, ghosts are you're surrounded by spirits. Uh, fortunately, ninety percent of them in war are benign. They want to go about their business, and and some of them just want to do the same things that they did in life. Some of them are wandering because they're confused. They didn't know that they died. Their life was taken so quickly. Sometimes no, it's a suicide. Know. You know, it could be a suicide, an earthly obsession that keeps them here. Or but I can tell you, yeah, I can tell you this: that when you do die, there is a path you'll be given. Now, I've talked to many survivors who have died and been brought back. And I've only talked to one. And she was a younger girl that gave me a bad story. She's scared to death to die because she went to a dark place. But that's the only story I've heard. Almost everybody else's story, in one way, shape, or form, resembles mine. That yeah, you're going to see. Well, the other people don't want to say either. You know what I mean? They don't want to say, well, you know, I went to hell. They don't want to say it because it's a horrible place. And even the people in hell, what I've heard when I've talked to people about it, they say the people in hell are warning you to go away. They scream from hell, stay back. You know what I mean? Go away, I, go I, back. Don't come down here. I don't know. I've told a lot of people to go to hell in my day, so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's bad, Send <laughs> the people to hell, will you? <laughs> now, I, well, you know, I, I won't do that. <laughs> I want to know about something. I want to know because you're doing like this. You've done this series of little videos that are educational, and I really like them. You want to tell um, our listeners about uh, this series you have uh, about all these different aspects of the paranormal, and uh, you have several of them, and they're on YouTube. And you tell, can you tell them where to find them and what they're about? Well, they're on YouTube. I, I think they all start with True Haunting, but if you go to www.edwinbecker.com, all, uh, all lowercase, uh, you'll see a tab up on the upper right that says More, and you hit that tab, and it'll, show we it'll say Webisodes. And all nine Webisodes are there. And I try to keep them short. I, think, I don't think any of them are longer than 20 to 22 minutes. Uh which is twice as long as, as uh, uh, the average person wants to spend, actually. Scientifically, they kind of know that uh, 
you got to get your point across in 10 minutes. Uh, but, but they're 20, 20 minutes. And basically, I'm just very honest about what my experience is and what my advice would be. You know, and I don't think I'm, I'm the, you know, the end expert. For, but I can just honestly tell people this is what my experience has been, whether it be attachments or with demons exactly. or, or, or handling a common ghost. Uh, I'm a huge believer in reincarnation and of karma. You know, I, I, a lot of people think karma is, is self-created, that, you know, what goes around comes around. Uh, in a way, that's right, but it's not its not self-created. It, it's not something that you can, create. you know, I'm going to do a bunch of good stuff, and then it's all going to come back to me. Eh, maybe. I don't True. know. Yeah. To me, what karma is is something that you've done that's either positive or negative, that you don't even know you're doing, okay? And, and I think the example I use in my webisode is that, you know, you're on your way home, you stop at a convenience store, it's raining, you grab a gallon of milk, you come out the door, and there's a guy there or a woman with a flat tire, and they have no cell phone, and they say, can you help me? Okay, at that moment, your choices are, here's my cell phone, you know, call Auto Club or whatever, uh, let me help you change the tire. Uh, you can, you have a lot of options or, Hey, I'm, buddy, I'm, or ma'am, I'm just in too much of a hurry. Goodbye. To me, karma is when two years go by and then you go to the bank and you need a loan on your home. And there, there sits that person as the bank officer. Yeah. 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 Now that I've had situations like that. Mine have all been positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to me, that's karma, okay? The moment you made that decision to either be a a positive or negative, without thinking of any rewards or returns, that becomes, to me, karmic. It, You know, and we all have the opportunity, I think, of creating good karma. Uh, There's a book that I read. I can't read it enough. I've read it four times. I read it take it with me everywhere it's my bible it's called the drop in the ocean yeah 99 and and it's a a short little book some of the pages are one sentence it's 99 things said by mother Teresa. it's changed my life it's altered my life wow and uh, if you read it you know you you won't be able to uh, not all of it applies because uh, Mother Teresa functioned in a world that, that's a lot different than our world. Uh, right. She was with abject poor, and I don't think in India they had the drug problems and the things that we have. But have if you read it, 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 it's, it's, it's a cheap book. It's a small little book. It's something I, I put in my vest pocket, and I, uh, it, I read it in the doctor's office. I read it... Uh, Whenever I can, and I, I concentrate, and it has changed my behavior. Uh, it's called A Drop in the Ocean, 99 Sayings by Mother Teresa. Now, I think A Drop in the Ocean has, uh, it may there may be quite a few books. So there's a choice of A Drop in the Ocean sayings by various individuals. Yeah. But, uh, but I talk about karma. Uh, and I, I've had a number of just great karmic events in my life. I, I could have made that uh, 
episode an hour easily. Um, yeah. It's only, it's only 20 minutes. I talk about, re, I, I'm a strong believer in reincarnation. You know, I, I think there's a reason there's a five-year-old that can play Brahms on the piano. You know, I think there's a reason that the three-year-old that they had on uh, TV can name you every single president and vice president and, and all that. Yeah, it's incredible. They're, they're, the, the yeah, they're, 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 they, they've been able to retain previous memories. And uh, yeah, I think well, we're some all... Some come out and say it. Some have even found their family, you know, and the the child is ironically just saying everything that was the family. Oh, you were my sister, you were my mother, and they have all these memories. I think the, the, the current Dalai Lama had that happen. I think that's why he is a Dalai Lama, from I'm if I remember correctly, he he remembered his afterlife. But considering that afterlife, uh, Ann Davis has a question for you. Is isn't uh, isn't it true that the paranormal knowledge can lead to true knowledge of God and the afterlife? I believe so. Yes. Yes. I I mean you'll automatically. Uh, I, that's one of the things Joseph D. Louise did for me. I, and I was a spiritual man as a young man. I, I grew up very strict Catholic. I still pray in a Catholic manner, even though I don't participate. I call myself mm-hmm. today a fallen Catholic. But when you realize that, you know, if you become paranormally educated and you realize that there are souls lost, uh, it brings you closer to God. That Automatically, you you ask for God's assistance to help these people. And uh, you look for you look for more protection. I mean, if you came into if you saw my bedroom, you know people flip, uh, it, especially if they're they're not uh, all that Christian, uh, because mm-hmm. I have I have blessed items all over my bedroom. I, I have a, two crosses, one that's probably a thousand years old or more. Oh. It's an it's an artifact. I've got a uh, infant of Prague statue that's from a church. In Italy, and my bedroom's protected, and it's it's advice that I give everybody uh, because I've gotten so many emails where people say, "I woke up and there was a shadow at the foot of my bed," you know, and uh, I don't have to ask them, "Did it frighten you?" Cause I already know the answer to that one, uh, and I tell them to protect your bedroom, make your bedroom a place, a fortress of spirituality, of positiveness. You know, regardless of what your beliefs, if it's Buddha, then get your Buddha statues and everything related to that and protect your bedroom because that's where you're you're going to lay your head down, you're going to drift off, and your subconscious is vulnerable. You're, you're most vulnerable right then. Don't let anything come into your bedroom. Now, I agree. I, if, if nothing else, you know, as an old man, my knees will hurt. My pacemaker can shock me, but when I lay my head down, I go to sleep right away, and I don't have any nightmares. And my bedroom is protected. Yeah, to have that and peace of mind everything. Yeah, and, and I know that, you know, because I've got emails where people have said they woke up in the middle of the night and there was this thing at the end of their bed. Uh, well, obviously their bedroom is not protected, right? You know, and to me, I took it beyond. I mean, 
My house has been blessed twice. But I took it beyond that. I've got a number of items that are actually artifacts and, and blessed items. I got two rosaries that are pope. One's multiple pope blessed. So it's been blessed by more than one pope. I make sure that that, that bedroom is my sanctuary. You know, it has to be because if you're in your house and what you're representing is actually a blessing to everybody around you, that's the way I feel. Our behavior has to be such that we're a blessing to ourselves and everybody else who would see us. I I just try to be, uh, I mean, I pray to God, I just want to be kind and generous to everybody as yes. I as, 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 as I can. If they need help, they're going to get help. If, if they have something, they need something that I have, I'll try to give it to them. You know, I, uh, as, as people know, I'm kind of known for sending out free books. I bought hundreds of books from uh, a publisher, and, and I've, I think maybe I've sold one or two, or Marsha did, but I don't sell books. I give them away. If people are in the service, in the armed forces, or if they're in public service, if they want one of my books, they can have one for free. You know, I uh, obviously my Kindle book wasn't priced. At, you know, you've got authors out there, and they price their Kindle books at nine ninety nine, and, and mine was as low as my publisher would go, two ninety nine. Yes. Uh, you know, I, uh, I I wanted my story to be read. I want my books to be read. I don't. I don't want. You know, there's no such thing as uh, there's no. Stephen King's anymore. The, the publishing business has changed, and uh, people who think they're going to go into writing to make money ain't going to happen. You know, ain't going to happen. Well, but you will have. Um, it may not be a money-making enterprise, but it is the the faithful following and friends you meet, and people that like your book, and the people that get help. Uh, you know, it's been amazing. The only book I had trouble with, but I don't even want to bring it up because I don't know. I got scared. I I can't even mention mentioned you about Spanish. something having to yeah. be. Yes, yes. I didn't want to say it. Anyway, but yeah, I, I had to I, uh, ask you about for some kind of help because I said when the name came up, I I was like paralyzed with fear. I was like, oh my god, I don't I don't want to hear that. So, uh, well, that's but that's, you know, I, I, I'm sorry you feel that way, but that's it's okay. like I said, uh, it, it, it's like I, I've told people, uh, you can say whatever you want. You know, if I say St. Michael, mm-hmm. he ain't going to pop up here. I wish he would. Yeah. You know, I, I kiss his feet in gratitude, but uh, he ain't coming here, all right? And, and neither are any demons, all right? It's not like calling mm-hmm. a cab. And, if you knew the hierarchy, it's one of the dark areas I had to go into to write the book is to learn demonology and to see the hierarchy. I mean, go back 800 years and see the documentation. Some demons have very common names, and the one I use for uh, to exhibit as, as, uh, is uh, Leonard. You know, there's a demon named Leonard. And, uh, well, <laughs> you know, you got Jackie Leonard, you got Leonard Nimoy, you got... Uh, Lenny Kravitz, you got, I'm sorry, yeah, you know, did, did, 
You know, I mean, did Leonard Nimoy's mom say, hey, Leonard, come home, and a demon come running through the door? No. No. You know, they, they, they're they looking for people that they can capitalize and manipulate, and, and they're not looking for strong people or, very, or spiritual people or, or people that are close to God. They don't want to work. They don't have to work, you know. Uh, and there's so many misconceptions about demons. I mean, uh, you know, there is no such thing as a person saying, I'm possessed. You know, I need an exorcism. Hmm. Then you know that they don't need an exorcism, they need a psychiatrist. Because a demon is never going to call for its own removal. It's got one goal, take your soul to hell. And it has no time. So it can be tomorrow, it can be 50 years from now. That's all they want, and then they want to move on. You know, and no, they're not going to jump into an inanimate object, into a robot or a, a little doll. That's why Jezebel is my kind of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I had a locker now for Halloween under lock and key. You saw that. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. Well, you know, um, I'm scared of dolls. So um, I even when I was a kid, um, I would ask for something. Let's say it was a doll. Uh, but I really wanted was the luggage that came with a doll. You know what I mean? It was like that. I didn't. I would give the dolls to my sisters. I still wanted to keep getting gifts, but I didn't. I didn't like dolls. I said, you know, it's just weird. It's going on to this day, like the huh. clown situation and all that. So, um, okay. So, Anne Anne is asking, do you think a demon's name helps in banishment? Oh, like when they're doing the rites of. Uh, Banishing uh, something away from somebody to know their name because I noticed uh, with some exorcist people uh, they they say tell me your name over and over and over. I, like I, I, it must okay. I, I mean I have a, a 1946 Catholic exorcist manual and uh, it, it's it's very enlightening if you read it. It, it hmm. must. The only thing I can I can derive from that, and I'd have to ask an exorcist, but I think that if you can get a demon to admit its name, it's it's a step in in controlling that demon. You now know that you've got the control has shifted, the polarity has shifted. You know he's admitted his name, and I know yeah. exorcists that have done that. And uh, one of my questions to one exorcist a uh, couple of years ago. Catholic exorcist was, have you ever met the same demon twice? And his answer was very quick, yes. And I felt like, you know, that he uh, he must have, you know, it's a, it must be a terrible job. Number one, it's dangerous. You yeah. know, number two, it's it's not a pleasant thing to go through. But then number three is that there's no true banishment. Okay, all all he all the exorcist knows is he's freed up this soul, but that demon's going to be out looking for someone else quickly, and uh, you don't know where he's going to land. And you may you know, and yeah, exorcists have run into demons, multiple demons, multiple times. Yeah, banished right. is one that you know. I wrote banished. I started to write banished too. And I've yeah. got two chapters done. I'm in chapter three. 
right. I, I, I always have four books going, three or four books going, and, and some of them I'll finish and I'll throw them in the trash. I read them and I say, this is crap. But Banish 3, I had to do research. I got to a point to yeah. where now i got to do some research. I stopped. I thought, no. It, it affects me too negatively. I don't really want to know what I'm going to find out, really. Mm. You know, it's not going to benefit me. Uh, there is going to be no book banished, too. I'll never finish that book. Okay. Now, some people will say I'm crazy, okay, because this is the honest-to-God truth. There's a Hollywood producer who read Banished, who contacted me, and he said, you know how Hollywood is with their sequels. He wanted a guaranteed yeah. sequel. So he said, when I finish Banished 2, to contact him. So I've got kind of an incentive there to do that. A significant one, mm-hmm. but it'll never get it'll never get done. Okay. Now maybe if I was uh, 21 or 25 and I, I uh, wanted all kinds of stuff, maybe maybe I'd do it. But at my age, it's like not, nothing's going to change with me. Uh, there's I have no incentive to do it uh, other than seeing a movie with my name, you know, at the end of it saying written by. Uh, Right. The money, the money's going to go to my grandkids, or, or you know, I don't wear jewelry. I don't like expensive food. I like cheeseburgers and pizza. Mm-hmm. I, I cars to me are nothing. You know, I've got a car that's uh, I bought brand new in 2008. It's got 16,000 miles on it, and my kids make fun of me. They, they say it's an old man's <laughs> car. You know, and I say, well, what the hell? I'm an old man. <laughs> it's a Mercury Marquis. It's comfortable. It's like driving a recliner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's nothing I want. And uh, I, I was negotiating for, I just stopped negotiations uh, this year for True Haunting. I was in negotiations for three years. Various things. And they offered me lots of different things that were meaningless to me. I, I don't think they understood that. But a couple times they said, Let's fly, we'll fly out to Hollywood, we'll have lunch. And I mm-hmm. said, no. You know, number one, I don't like flying. Number two, you know, I'm not a great eater. You know, they're going to take me to some French restaurant or something that I'm not going to want to eat the food anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I told them, you come to Springfield. You know, uh, I just can't be, uh, you know, shifted by, by worldly possessions any longer. You're at, I'm at an age now where the only thing I want every morning is my health. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, thing. I think if you can't be bought, I think it's uh, better that way. You know, because of the line of work I do, people pulled out uh, rolls of money. You know what I mean? Let me get away with this. Let me get away. I said, you know, I can't be bought, and it's kind of boring, so go away. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, you know, there's there's always a test, but with that, once you cease being materialistic, that's better. Me. Well, it's like the, the the final hurdle with True Haunting. I wanted a, uh, you know, I can talk about it now because I'm no, no no longer under disclosure. But I, I wanted a flat out guarantee that it would go to the box office. 
You know, mm-hmm. I, I already was offered a contract early on for it to become a cable movie and a made-for-TV thing. I, I turned it down. <clears throat> and then I got an option to, to make it into a Hollywood movie. And, and I, I signed that option, and I was under that option. Typically, they're 18 months, but they extended it because so we ran into a hurdle. And the hurdle mm-hmm. was that I wanted in writing a guarantee that it would go to the box office. Because I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I follow Hollywood closely now since I've been involved with them. A lot of major stars have made movies. Travolta, Bruce Willis, uh, I forgot who the last one was, but that have gone right to, to, to DVD. They don't even get box office exposure. And uh, yeah. so I, I, I wanted box office. And there's only two ways to do that. One of them is if they set the operating budget really high then I would know that the only way they can recoup is by going to the box office. But if they, in this case, they didn't, they, to me it was borderline, and that became the hurdle. Well, yeah, people started throwing things at me, and we'll give you this, we'll give you that. You know, They didn't understand that I don't want any of that crap. Okay, I, I want a, a simple signature that says, Guaranteed to go to the box office. Uh, and even with that, you have to trust them because, uh, you know, you don't want to deal with Hollywood people. Any any time you hear of an author that says, you know, my book may become a movie and they're happy, it's bullshit, plain English. Yeah. Uh, only because, you know, what, what it cost me, it cost me a couple grand in lawyer bills, attorney, attorney fees to... to uh, you know, they have a contract that they've developed over a half a century. It's the biggest gotcha that I was an executive. I made contracts. I know contracts. I've done acquisitions. A Hollywood contract is the, the most complicated gotcha that you ever want to see. You know, everything is there. And, uh, it emphasizes what you're getting. It doesn't emphasize what you're not getting. So you got to go use your imagination and realize that at the premiere, if you don't specify that they're going to give you tickets, guess what? You're buying your own. If they don't specify no, how you're going to get there, yeah, if they don't specify how you're going to get there, which they don't, then you're buying your own. If they say, hey, will you agree to be an on-set consultant, and you say yes, but you don't say how much will I get paid, who's going to pay my board, Guess what? It's a gotcha. So everything yeah. in there, it, it's the most complicated, terrible negotiations that you ever want to go to. And I still want to see True Haunting as a movie. I I'd like to see it as, you know. But I, I'd like it to go to the box office, and that's the only thing I told my, my daughter who, you know, if something happens to me, my daughter will take over, and I told her that's my wishes. She can do whatever the hell she wants, you know, of course. I won't care. I'll mm-hmm. be in a happy place. Yeah. But I'd like to see it go to the box office. And uh, if you follow Hollywood right now, what they're doing is they're doing comic books. They're doing animation. They're doing redos, you know, Pete's Dragon and yeah. stuff that's been done before. Over, over. And, and then they're doing, like, franchise movies where you have the Fast and the Furious number 85. Uh, they're sticking with safe stuff. Uh, they're not doing much original. And uh, so my timing has been bad, you know, in a bad way. 
So what do I do? I, I, I sit and I wait. You know, and if it doesn't happen, it, I, I really don't care. Yeah. You know. It would be nice. My, it would be nice. You know, my benefits are, and it's been miraculous, actually. The world of the paranormal is a very, it, it can be a very nice place. It's been a little harsh. It's turned a little harsh the last few years with a lot yeah, of scams and people, you know, with the phony events and uh yeah, I know. Other things that you know that have not been very good, but it's a warm, a very warm community, and I've made a lot of friends. I mean, interesting friends, wonderful friends, caring friends. You don't know the outpouring that I I, I received last year when I was under stress. Uh, yeah, I'm you so know, happy. A lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people came and they uh, they boosted me up. And uh, how do you thank them for that? You know, uh, I can't thank them enough. Uh, you know, in fact, I was going to put a post. I probably will put it on my page because it's true. The problem when you're a strong person and you're known as a strong person is that very few people ask you how you're doing. Right. They well, make an think, assumption that, you know. Well, you've been so uh, open with your heart and open and, and uh, sharing your life. I think that when that happened, I think it did affect a lot of us. You know what I mean? That um, what it made me think about, and actually uh, your sharing helped me because uh, uh, similar happened to me, but... Uh, you know what happened to you to me was was worse. Even though uh, um, I don't know how to say, it cause I don't want to bring it up. But anyway, you could talk a, around a little bit. But anyway, I'm just saying, you hanging in there, you uh, falling through, taking care of yourself, that has helped me the most. You know what I mean? It's helped me. You know. Well, somewhere, know somewhere on my somewhere on my page. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Life goes on. I mean, really, it changes, but we continue. It, you know. It, 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 somewhere on my page, uh, you'll see a saying that's just perfectly true, and it's my own words. Uh, I I believe, okay, that you know, I grew up as a very abused child. I went back and forth between a violent father and a mother that was uh, a little bit off uh, because of the death of my brother, a little brother who died at three years old. I became uh-huh. a kid of the streets. I wound up in an institution. I, you know, I faced a lot of places where that were scary, where people didn't care, whatever. When this happened last year, I realized that, you know, a lot of guys may have even put a bullet in their head. Uh, and said that, you know, my whole life is done. Yeah. But I've suffered worse. I've suffered worse. I've been alone before when I was young. Yeah. I've yeah. been in situations where no one cared. I've been in, in places that are dark. So that I have experienced worse, actually. And uh, even my uh, when I went to, I went to therapy, and uh, I'm not embarrassed to say it, you know, because a therapist helped me cope with my arrhythmia 20 years ago. And if you find a good therapist, 
they can do a wonderful job. And uh, I was worried that I had actually, I, I knew I was suffering from depression, but I was worried that I had repressed anger because uh, as a young man, I was a real hothead. And uh, I've always been, you know, now I've never harmed anyone in the family. I've never touched anyone in the family. Uh, I would never, I, I, don't, I don't even think I'd protect myself against anyone that's in my bloodline or family. They could beat on me. They could do whatever. I'm not going to harm them in any way. But I thought, am I going to go berserk one day, you know, maybe at Walmart <laughs> and, and uh, you know, start throwing half a gallon of ice cream at people or something? So I went to the therapist and... Uh, over time, I mean, she gave me things to do that that really helped me. But she said, you have no animosity in you whatsoever. She said, so don't even worry mm-hmm. about it. And, uh, you know, because I, I was worried that there's that little time bomb in there that could go off. Yeah. And knowing me, knowing me, uh, it would be quite an explosion. Uh, but she said, no, I, 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 you know, I'm not embarrassed to say I was suffering de- uh, slight depression and grief. Uh, yes. and uh and, and as of august too, you know. as of august you know i'm still going to go see her cuz i like her uh yeah. every now and then but as of august she said you know she can't be she asked me what was bothering me and uh, recently and i told her and it was really a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in my family and she was writing concentrating and writing on this index card and I thought she's writing something significant, you know, and I got all done. She goes, are you through? And I said, yeah. And she said, here, and she grabbed my hand gently and she handed me the index card. And I flipped it over and it said, not your circus, not your monkeys. <laughs> and she said, I, and she said, I want you to repeat this. She said, I want you to repeat this every day for the next month. Uh, so I've got a menu board in my kitchen, and I wrote, not in my circus, not my monkeys. Because everything I went to her bitching about was uh, things that were happening to other people that I couldn't, you know, I, could, I couldn't control. Anyway, you know, but uh, I thought, you know, if I was involved, it wouldn't have happened. Maybe I could have helped, uh, you know. Uh, and she says, stop thinking that way, you know. It's not your circus, mm-hmm. not your monkeys. Uh, you know, it's true. At some point, we have to let go, you know what I mean, and let go of the guilt and let go of whatever the burden is because I do believe at these times that's when we leave it leave it at, at their door, the people that are doing it, drop it in their lap, you know, and continue on because uh, we have a task here on this earth. We have a purpose, you know, and I don't think it is just getting jerked around by all these things that everybody's doing, you know. It's time to let go, you know, and just do your own thing, what you're doing, you know, because I don't think it was a, a coincidence that you're you're doing on the lyrics thing, and that's your almost your first love. So, you know, I think that's uh, fantastic, you know. See, have you, uh, yeah. you know, you're, you've got like so many stars over here for your book. It's kind of amazing. Uh, you know, I'm getting stars, stars, well, stars, I, stars. Anyway. I, I, I didn't want to blow my trumpets, but. It's actually well, the highest, the highest rated, most reviewed ghost story in Amazon history under parapsychology. That's amazing. So un, under true me. parapsychology, it's dwarfed everybody, you, you know. And uh, 
it's probably the thing I'm proudest of that even some of my books that don't sell as well, they're all everything's highly rated. You know. And Pretty yeah, much. you get your, your you get your haters out there that, you know oh, uh, yeah. every now and then, but I I've just been very lucky. Everybody seems to like my writing. I, I uh it's not flowery, it's more direct and concise. And it's yeah. because I'm a sto- I'm a storyteller. You know, which the book I'm writing, I, I picture you sitting in a chair across from me, and I'm telling you the story. And if you fall exactly. asleep on me, I uh oh, I gotta erase that paragraph and do it again. Okay. I, I and uh, yeah, I'm gonna stay away with the multiple adjectives and and uh, exaggerations, uh, especially if I'm doing nonfiction. I get angry when I hear. Uh, I won't mention any names, but you'll hear an author talk about what's supposed to be a true story. And they'll say mm-hmm. they were horrified, terrified. And then they went home and went back to bed. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I don't know if they've ever really experienced being horrified or terrified. But let me yeah, tell you, you something. If you're, <laughs> I've been terrified, okay, in my life, in my youth. You, your flight or fight switch comes on, and it usually says flight. And you're going to run for the hills, and you're not going to come back, okay, of what you're terrified from. So to use those that strong language in a ghost story, having being a person who's experienced ghostly activity, you can describe, it can be frightening, I mean, definitely confusing, and it can be a lot of different things. It can create anxiety, and, and uh, but it's, you know, you're not going to be terrified, you know, unless you have such a low threshold, uh, it'll be, you know, I mean, when I saw the mixer come off the wall by itself and land in a certain spot, I was more confused. It was like, how the hell did it do that? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, weird things and you do get curious. Like, it's not like in the horror movies. It's like you turn, you're looking at it and you're trying to figure but, out how it happened. But it's like I tell I, I tell a lot of investigators this that you know you I always fear for investigators because they uh, they think they're protected and I don't care you know if they do what kind of dance they do prior to going into a place if something's malevolent there is no protection all right you can call on God all right but it's like I tell you know if if I call on God and then I walk into the lion's den. God's just going to shake his head and say, what an idiot. You know, what the hell did I create? Uh, you don't put yourself in a threatening position and think that someone's else, that God's going to protect you. God's not going to keep you from walking right into a door. You know, if you want to walk through that door, you walk through the door and that, you're on your own, buddy. And, and yeah. ghosts can be, ghosts can be, uh, pe- people are brave because, it's invisible. Okay, now, in my youth, I did boxing, and you shadow box, and you can box like hell when you're boxing air. And I did martial yeah. arts, and in martial arts, in martial arts, you do your kata, and your kata, you kick and you jump and you do all these things, and it's easy to do. Then you get into a ring and compete, and you get hit, and you realize, oh man, that hurts. All right. Well. Yeah. Going into a haunted house, you can have a false bravado. 
because you can't see what's there. It's it's much like even when I think of true haunting, I shudder because I basically antagonized whatever it was with that kitchen door. And at yeah. the time when I look back, I was brave and I was puffy and I was making fun of it. You know, you can't break the string. You know, you, you're not strong enough to break a string. What kind of ghost are you? I think of it now, and I think, you know, if I could probably have seen what was on the other side, I may have went and ran, ran out of the kitchen screaming like a little girl, you know. Yeah. But because you can't see it, okay, you're brave. And I, I even said to one investigator, I said, the heck with investigating a haunted place. Come with me. We'll go to Chicago. We'll pick a good meth house on the south side. And we'll go in and we'll interview the meth addicts and, and hear their story. Well, he said, you know, no way. And I said, why? Because you're going to get hurt. You know what you're facing. You can see it. You know, for some reason, yeah. people believe that these things can't hurt them. And, of course, you can't see them, so they're not scary. And they go in and, mm-hmm. and you know, like uh, there's one famous guy on uh, cable, I guess. I don't have cable, so. But he yells at ghosts and screams at ghosts. Well, I already know that wherever he's at, the place ain't haunted. Okay, because no one with a brain would do that in a place that's actually occupied. Right. Uh, especially if he considers himself a paranormal expert. That that would just be absurd. Uh, but that's, you know, that's part of it. You're, you're, you're facing something, and it's brought me a lot closer to God. I mean, uh, you, you realize that, that people can fall into an abyss between worlds because of their beliefs or their behavior or their circumstance. And that these ghosts are going, you know, many of them are going through hell. You know, they can't find their way. You used to call it purgatory, but they are stuck in like a, they're neither here nor there. And, you know, they haven't, I guess what everybody says, transition, but, um, well, we have about 10 minutes left, and I wanted to say, I don't know if you've read your uh, comments lately, but there's a very recent con, con along with all these five stars, there's a very uh, interesting comment. It says, fascinating read. I really enjoyed this book, and I admire that Mr. Becker didn't try to sensationalize a true story. It's weird enough as it stands. I had to see if I could find Carol Simpson news video that was broadcast in 1970, and sure enough, it's still around. So I also found it. And there's also an amazing one that, uh, you know, let me see if I can get myself back to this one. It's uh, it's the, ma- the amazing one, and remarkably, it's on top. Hold on one moment. Okay. Um, darn it. No, no, this computer. I've got too much stuff going on this computer. Okay. It says true haunting, and it's uh, just before Thanksgiving. I was sitting at my desk, and when I was wondering about people I had known, at some point I thought about the Beckers, so I searched the Internet and was directed to Amazon, where I found true haunting by Edwin S. Becker. Could it be? I had not seen or heard from Mr. and Mrs. Becker in 40 years. As I stared at this book, the memories hit me like a thunderbolt exploding in my mind. I started reading the excerpts of the true haunting, and I could hardly breathe. He said, I was instantly transported back to the months that I lived in that apartment. And yes, I am the David mentioned in the book. Mr. Becker's account of the events, as he recalled, was like it happened yesterday. 
The events I remembered about that building are so true. Until I read his book, I had not remembered many of the unspoken events that changed my life. Things that took place in our apartment could have filled another chapter. This is this was the first book I had ever ordered from Amazon. Most books that I read are tech manuals. So I placed an order and received the book the day before Thanksgiving. This book has held my attention until 4 a.m. and I could not put it down. I was so touched by the accounts in the books. So I sent Mr. Becker an email and my phone number. And it was like magic. He called me. Forty years ago, that haunted building ended what could have been a friendship. And now that same haunted building may just bring us together again. I just thought it yeah, was beautiful. That, that, that was uh, incredible. And I don't know if you saw the comments, but he got about 80 comments. He had yeah, a fan oh, club of his own. He has 166 now. It's up to 166. Yeah, he, has, he has a fan club of his own. And, uh but that's wow. not the best. I got two stories I'll tell as an author that made me oh. very, very happy. One of them was a woman in California, and she wrote me, and it resulted in a phone call. Uh, but it was around. It was after Christmas, and this was uh, two years ago. She wrote that her family they had a family reunion uh, for the first time in years, and they all stayed in one big lodge. And they decided that on Christmas Eve they were going to read a ghost story. She said she picked my book. She said not only could she not stop reading, she said by the time it was midnight they had to stop. But mm-hmm. the first thing in the morning they said is, "Let's finish the book." You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I and I told her I said it wasn't exactly a Christmas story. Uh, you know, but she said we couldn't stop, and everybody wanted to know how it ended, and and uh, so that that's a memory I'll treasure. The other one yeah. has to do with another one of my, one another one of my books is called A Trip Back in Time, and it's yeah, it's a gentle book. Yeah, it's a gentle it's a gentle book. It's about a grandfather who who wishes he could transport his kids back to the age when he was their age, which was ten, at the time ten years old, and he does. Okay, call it magic or time travel or whatever. But in there, I, I mix a little bit of uh, biography, a whole lot of nostalgia in pop culture. And I had a, a man write me, and he said, uh, I read your trip back in time. And he said, I have to tell you this, that every night before I go to bed, I read the same page. Now, I don't know what page that is because oh, he never dang. told me. Yeah, but he said I read that page before I go to sleep, and uh, because I I talk about uh, how it was in 1956, and uh, it was a much gentler time. So I always think about that guy who reads the same page whenever he goes to sleep, and and the, the ghost story around Christmas, uh, <laughs> where the family <laughs> sat there all day preoccupied reading my book. The hell with the presents. Let's get back to the book. You know. <laughs> I've been very, very blessed and blessed to know people like you. I'm very proud to be on your 400th show. Uh, Yes. And, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of friends out there. I wish I could list them all, but I'm glad, you know, Annie is out there and and Davis and uh, Anna Marie Mm -hmm. and Chris Michaels and uh, so many people are just so, have been so wonderful to me. Uh, It's it's been the gift that I've gotten from the book. Well, you're the you're the best, uh, Ed, and I wish you all the best. You know, the holidays are coming up, and uh, 
what a perfect time just to be in celebration and, you know, celebrate your life and all of our lives that have been touched by what's happened to you. And, you know, and then keep going because uh, it was so amazing to uh, sit with uh, just even yesterday a person who called himself a lyricist and that he is related to Smokey Robinson and he's doing all these lyrics. And then when you said, so it had it in my mind today that you were a musician and it brought back that how much joy the music brings. And uh, so you're on the next chapter right now, which is fascinating. Yeah, I'm writing lyrics. And uh, I was a musician in that era because I, I uh, in one gig when they built the uh, Golden Dome in Notre Dame, I want to say it's 66, 67. The opening act was The Temptations. That was the first. Oh, and we opened for them. We were the only opening act. So wow. my group, The Four Souls, opened for The Temptations. And it was spectacular. I mean, uh, they had 22 pieces, and they were uh, they were in their heyday with My Girl and Ain't Too Proud to Beg and all, the, you know. And we got, we got to sit back. Yeah, we got to sit back after the show, and, and they were smoking, you know. I wasn't smoking any local weed, of course, but there was a, a, a cloud. <laughs> There's some cloud overhanging uh, the after uh, show, uh, the show after the show. Yeah, there was a little bit of a, a, a smoke cloud uh, descended on us, and, and uh, I, I still got the tuning fork. The bass singer for The Temptations gave me a, a tuning fork because, Wow. What they would do before they went on stage is the bass singer would hit the tuning fork, which was a C, and they would go five five different notes. They'd go, ah, the harmony, yeah. yeah. Perfect the harmony. harmony. And then they'd yeah. run on stage. Then they would run oh. on stage. And he uh, threw me the tuning fork, and I, I gave it back to him. He said, keep it. And I've still got it on my piano really? here. That's really good. Yeah, really those, those are good old days. Very those good. Those good old days. And that music never gets old for me. It sounds as good as it did then. You know, it's it's pure. It's it's wonderful. You know, well, it's like and I it's posted. Really I posted a meme that it was actually written by me, but I didn't sign it. Edwin Becker at the bottom, but I said, if you have music, you're never alone. And uh, I, I truly believe that. Everybody who's awesome. listening, you know, God, God bless you all, and. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy you were listening, and I hope maybe I said something that uh, of value that you can uh, you can keep. And Shire, uh, thank you so much. You're very very welcome, and uh, my doors open always. And uh, uh, you've been an amazing mentor. And uh, reading your books, nothing like a good book, you know. And because uh, I'm also a reader, and I also love the music, but you as a human being have been a great example to me, you know, how to keep going, keep trudging, and, you know, thrive. And we have to thrive up to the end. We have to finish good, you know. We have to have that good finish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I'll I'll, uh, I'll finish it. You will. Oh, so yeah. God bless you. God bless you and, and love you, and thank you so much for being on tonight, Ed. And happy Halloween to you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Yay. Bye-bye. And then, uh, you know, you can reach Ed at www.edwinbecker.com, and all of his books are listed there. And also where you can get them, and uh, you can also go to his blog because he answers a lot of questions there, and uh, they're more interesting in pictures and stuff like that. So uh, we love us some Edwin Becker. We really do. 
So everybody in chat, I love you guys. Thank you so much for keeping us company and your uh, always wise remarks. And uh, thank you guys for being a friend and a friend of a friend. And uh, love you all very much. And those that were on the line and listening through their phones, I appreciate you. And then if you're going to be listening to this in archives, I appreciate you too. So I wish you all a very good night. God bless and love you all very much. And uh, have a happy Halloween. I might do a show Halloween night. I'm I'm going to a party, and uh, they want me to do a show there, and I might be doing that on Halloween night if I'm up to it. So I wish you all the best. Love you. Bye-bye.